Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. Hey, Marcia. Hey, Alex. How are you? I'm great. I have a question. What? Do you think we should all be like Madonna and reinvent ourselves every few years? Oh, this is a good one. Um, so Madonna's reinvention sometimes <laughs> works better at some stages of her life than others. It's true. Um, as someone who remembers Madonna when she first kind of hit the scene in the 80s to now seeing Madonna doing a number of things that are questionable, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say that... Um, I don't know if you need to reinvent yourself. I think you really just need to challenge yourself. And I think those are different because I think a reinvention is saying like who I am is not enough and let me scrap the whole thing. I think a challenge is saying, okay, who am I now and what are ways I can amplify the very best parts of me? And so mm. I think sometimes what happens, like I see students um, when they come into their first year of college, they sometimes like have two extreme poles. It's either total reinvention, they want to run away from who they were in high school, and considering the traumatic experiences of bullying, and now that the internet has been invented, yeah. bullying is like, I can't imagine. So they want to just be someone totally different. Totally. Or there's such a fear of change, there's this like deep clinging to how things used to be. And it's an amazing thing to watch, because I'll have a student who's like a first year student, and they only reference their hometown and their high school. And it's not their fault. This is the only context they know. But I think sometimes they like bring it up because they're afraid of letting go of that. Yeah. And then by the senior year, they're so over that. They've had so these experiences. And you don't, I mean, as someone who doesn't have children of my own, watching that kind of developmental process over four years, it's probably what it's like to go from like a newborn to 35. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of like growth is what happens over the course of first of four years. So you get these first year students. Um, and then I think by the senior year, they kind of find like a happy place. I don't know. How about you? Do you feel like we should all be like Madonna and reinvent ourselves? Well... I would probably skip the Rebel Heart tour. Like, if you're going in that <laughs> I would, I would double like, up on the music years. Could I? Because I loved that. Oh my god, so great! Loved music. I feel like that was the last time so I enjoyed Madonna. Good and like what it feels like for a girl criminally underrated. Absolutely fabulous. So, the world wasn't ready, and then then now, and maybe we're atoning for our <laughs> lack of appreciation of the sample of, of like, Charlotte Gainsborough on the track. It was it was ahead of its time, but. You know, I I do think it's a tenuous balance because what's that incredible line to thy own self be true? Yeah. That's the number one rule. But sometimes you don't know what you're doing. Sometimes you have no clue. <laughs> you have no clue what you want or what you yeah. like. And I think it's really important to, like you said, challenge yourself. I think I think college is an opportunity to get past some of your own BS and some of your own, mm -hmm. and your reliance on other groups and some identities that are formed through that which is very what happened mm -hmm. in high school there are cliques and to really push yourself to try different things yeah 
But when I think of a complete reinvention, I guess it, it's tricky. It's like, is it just aesthetic? Is it is it a moral one? Is it? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I've seen so much transformation. I mean, I've had students say, you know, before I took your class, I had these ideas about the world, and now I know more things, right? And yeah. I'm more and I'm more sympathetic, or I think a little bit more about, and that's like really powerful. But I don't know if that's a reinvention. If that's just maturity. I think it's hard to kind of know what's what. But I, when I think about reinvention, I think of people who are just trying to, like, try on, take off one mask and put on the other. And I think that that's what makes me uncomfortable sometimes when um, students see college as a way to escape something that they were instead of better understand who they were. And I think that that is the tricky part of growing up. And I think it's a tricky part of knowing what college is for. Yeah. Do you think... So do you think it's a lot of it is evasive running away or is it, well, is it a protection? Well, I think sometimes it's like if you want to kind of escape your family system or mm. escape your hometown or escape these roots that you might feel are shameful. I think sometimes it's dangerous to think that the, what you have to do is escape rather than try to like understand or meet in the middle. And I think this conversation that I have with a student about being out on campus really highlights, you know, how it's not about, um, it's about being more honest with yourself in order to kind of manage the relationships that are important to you. So it's a good conversation. Looking forward to it. Today on the podcast, I interview Anthony Anderson, a sophomore at Georgetown University, about identity. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Professor Shetland. How are you? I'm good. How was your spring break? It was really, really good. I was um, back in Georgia with family, so I was back there with my mom and my brothers and sisters, and it was just really fun to be back. I didn't do much, like, I did not open my laptop once, which was mm -hmm. a good thing. Um, I just spent time with them, and, like, those relationships are changing now as we get older, so it's just, like... Really, really interesting to see, like, the clapbacks at times from our <laughs> brothers and sisters. It's just like, wow. How old are your siblings? Um, so I have a sister. My youngest sister is 12. I have a brother that's 14. And then I have an older, uh, younger brother um, who is 17. I did that back. Oh, man. So they're all in that age. <laughs> yes, they are. So that's like they're eighth all. grade. It's like a six, six, seventh, and 11th. So it's just like they're all going through different stages. <laughs> like my brother's applying, like starting to think about the ACT. My other brother and sister, they're just like, they, they hate school at this point. I'm mm -hmm. just like, guys, no, you can't hate school. <laughs> so I really try to like really um, tell them like school's a good thing. You need to challenge yourself. But they're just like, shut up. <laughs> so something that we, I feel like every time we talk to each other, you're just like, you just went from home. So yes. you still live in Indiana yes, I, and you went back. And I just remember, I think the first year you came back you're like professor challen it was a long summer and yeah. i think it's an experience a lot of students have about the person you are at home and then the person yeah. you are with your family so if you could just tell us a little bit about what that first summer back home was okay. like um so my first summer back home so um i came out um, I was in and out when I came into college. I always knew as gay, as gay, as gay. Um, I, I was like, um, some of my family knew parents, not my mom knew, not my dad. Um, and so, but I came into college knowing I wanted to be out, knowing that I wanted to like, uh, finally identify as gay officially and not have that be like a second label. Um, and so 
I was very involved with our LGBT group on campus and we did an out campaign. And um, in that out campaign, I um, like you're out for something. So I was out for like students of color. And the last thing was I'm I'm out as queer. I am queer. Um, I used that um, because I felt like that was easier to like my parents for that to grapple with that than it was for them to grapple with gay. Which why, is do, why do you say that? Because I think generationally, I know people of a certain age, um, because queer was a yeah. pejorative and a slur yeah. in an earlier generation. And so when they say, when they see young people, you know, claiming a queer identity, that's confusing. Yeah. But why do you think your parents needed to hear queer, not gay? Um, because I felt like I was also taking a lot of women and gender studies classes in my first year. And like we were talking about um, queer theory, which is like, for me, it's more of a broader perspective mm-hmm. of LGBTQ. It's not putting yourself in a label. It's kind of saying, I acknowledge that sexuality is fluid and I may be attracted to a certain um, sex or gender, but I'm not limited to that. Mm-hmm. And that was me acknowledging that. I felt for my parents, like, in my head, like, um, it was like saying that would be like, oh, well, I'm not necessarily gay. I'm on this spectrum. Mm-hmm. But obviously, my parents are not thinking like that. <laughs> they just look at <laughs> the, you like, the, what are you talking about? They were about? like, you're gay. <laughs> 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 That's literally. <laughs> but I was just like, I was like, yes, this is so much better. <laughs> at the time, um, I've, come a, a come, I've come a long way. Um, so, yeah, so I, I come from grandparents who are pastors. Um, and so the head pastor saw my Alfred um, GU campaign. Oh, my gosh. Told them, and they told my father. And the funny thing is my father didn't even, like, call me or t- or text me to be like, hey, what's up? I called him. I'm like, yo, actually, like, yo, can I, give, can I borrow, like, 20 bucks? <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. Time out. When does the $20 come in? <laughs> That's just that I was calling him to just oh, for the 20, 20 bucks. And, I, and the joke was on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, yeah, literally, literally. I love that story. And um, he's like, he's like, so, um. Before we talk about money, <laughs> I have something to ask you. And I knew at that moment, because my father had never, like, said I had something to ask you. So I knew at that moment he knew. And so um, he was like, he told me the story, and he was just like, everybody knows they've been talking about you for, like, a week or two now. And I'm like, why has nobody told me this? Um, which I guess was a good thing that nobody was, like, calling angry or doing those mm-hmm. kind of things. So he was like, are you? And I remember at that time I really couldn't answer him at that time because it was like, he's my father, and, like, I really don't know how to do that. Well, that happened. So fast forward to summer. I spent part of my summer, most of my summer in Georgia, um, and I live with, my dad, my brothers and sisters, um, and uh, my mom's not in the picture at the time. And um, my grandma, who my grandma is very, very religious. Um, she she grew up in the church, um, and she's like, she's a very mammy-ish figure, I, I would say. Um, taking care of kids, very compassionate person, but she's just stuck in her ways when it comes to religion. Um, and so it kind of caused me to, like, cold switch because I felt like here— I was a little more flamboyant. I was a little more like out, like like I didn't care or think about what I said or what I did. But back home, not as much. I still was opinionated, but I kind of sensed the masculinity, like mm-hmm. being a little more masculine, a little more like compensating for mm-hmm. them knowing that I'm, I'm LGBT, identify as LGBTQ. Um, at the time, my grandma didn't know, and so I just I didn't I didn't want to tell her. So I just like was like, well, let me act this way around her so she won't know. Um, and so it was a very, very long summer because I felt like I had I was missing a piece of myself. I was missing this piece of myself that 
was important. It was important. I, and I and towards the end of the summer, I just noticed myself sort of slowly starting to get into like this like depressed state. And also, I've been so this was my grandma on my father's side. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I call my grandparents, they're not like my real grandparents, but I just they raised they helped raise me. I also visited them in Gary, Indiana, and so I spent two weeks there. Um, and that was interesting. It was a great time for me to build back up that relationship with them and um, and get on good terms with them. But at the same time, I had to always be on my on my tippy toes. Like I couldn't say certain things. And then also like coming into play was race because mm-hmm. I was talking to them as well about like race issues that were going on. Um, and and they were like they really were like dis like disregarding what I was saying they, they it was that was also a hard aspect because it was just like it wasn't that these kids were black it was just that they were teens and they they looked a certain way and they weren't they were they were saying it was so you were talking to them about police brutality police, and yeah, po- yes. police killings yeah and they were just looking at they, you like I don't yeah it, it became a point to where they were like and some of them are um identify as white and um Hispanic and um it came to a point where People were saying, I don't want to use my white privilege. And I'm just like, and, and like kind of in a sarcastic way because they know I always talk about race. And um, it was just, it was very disheartening because I'm like, I love these people. I love these. And I also love talking about race issues. Mm-hmm. And I love getting those things on people's radar. And how do I navigate talking about race issues, talking about LGBTQ issues, yeah. and also having a good time with my family? And so it was really hard that summer to put all those things into perspective. Now, with my family back in Georgia, predominantly black, um, my dad, everybody identifies as black. So it was a little easier talking about race issues. Mm -hmm. So I never really got to think about that aspect of my life there. I just most of the time was focusing on my LGBTQ identity. So it was just interesting with my family and Gary was kind of now I was really aware of all my identities because beforehand coming to college I wasn't as like socially aware socially aware about like race issues and like police brutality and those things so I was kind of a different person back in high school yeah I was a completely different person and so like now it was just like it was weird hanging out with him now and it was a little disheartening I just learned at that time like you just have to love people where they're at like they're all of my family at, on that on that side are at a point where like it's kind of engraved into their heads they like know no better and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to explain like race issues and actually they're more open to like LGBT talking about LGBTQ oh, things. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, it is. It's really interesting. Like, what do you think that's about? I don't know. It's. I think it's more about there. It's very, very in Gary, Indiana, and in, like the surrounding area. It's very divided by race. Mm-hmm. Very divided. Like you have Hispanics living with other Hispanics. You have blacks living with other blacks. Whites living with other whites. It's never really um, seg- uh, integration. Like um, you're, re- and it's like if it is, it's like one or two black families or one or two Hispanic families. So it's very segregated. And so. Gary, Indiana has always been characterized as like just this horrible place, this lost cause who lives in that city, predominantly black people. So then there's, I feel like there's just these associations that mm-hmm. are made on black individuals that they're inherently bad, that they, that they do this to themselves, that they're lazy. And these are the things that they, that they, um, associate with black people. And then they also live in Gary. And so they, they just don't understand like, systematic oppression systematic racism they they hear free and it's free and they also feel like they've worked 
they've worked for what they've gotten and it's like well you're not black so Mm -hmm. or you're not you're not other um you're less ambiguous you're more ambiguous and so you're Mm. you're you're able to you're white passing so you're able to get um climb the ladder easier they don't understand this and it's also not acknowledging your white privilege and stuff like that and i don't know how to talk to them about these things without them getting offended um, but so these so they associate these things with people in Gary and then you see like high crime rates while you're living there these things and it's just like well that's that's what they're doing that's what they're doing mm-hmm. it's like well have you taken into account the environment that they lived in why are they in this environment how did they get into this environment why is there a lake down the street that they can't even swim in but in Crown Point they have all these resources to people why are we in a deficit because a white mayor was um, um, embezzling money. Mm-hmm. And so why why are these things in place? We need to acknowledge and we need to look at history and they, they just don't want to do that. And so when you were, so you went to high school in Gary. Yes, I was. And so when, as a mixed race person yes. and as a queer kid, where did you fit in your high school community? Did you um, overcompensate by being a good student or were you the popular kid that everyone loved? I overcompensated by being a bad student, actually. You were bad? I was a bad, I was not the best student in high school. I was not the best student. It was because people could, first, I wasn't doing like, I feel like, I talked about this in like, low income communities is still very, you're taught to still be very gendered. Mm. You're taught to be very to play, you're supposed to play this sport, you're supposed to do this, and at my high school, it was big basketball jump rope. That's what you did. And so a lot of my friends at high school and it, all through elementary, middle school, high school, were girls. And that was a big sign. So all I hung out was girls. So from the boys, I kind of got, like, this little hesitancy to be my friend or, like, this little talk, um, oh, he's gay, oh, this, mm-hmm. that. Then I also love to cook. Even for my own family, some family members were being, like, why is he doing this? Uh, da, 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 da. So I, I struggled to, I knew I was always different in that aspect because I'm like, why aren't, Why don't I want to play sports? Why am I not interested in this? Why would I rather watch um, gossip TV than watch a sports? And it was just like, those stuff came natural, natural to me. Um, I'll never forget, I was with my cousin and she was, she was about like 25 and stuff. And she was talking to another friend about this show, The Bachelor. Uh-huh. And I remember I was just like, I cannot believe that all this thing happened with like my one finger going all over the place. And like, I could tell, I think back to it. It's so funny because she really did not know how to handle it at that, mm. at that, at that instant. She was like, go in, the, go in the room and play with the boys. Like go in the room and go play video games with the boys. You're not, you're not supposed to do that. And so little instances like that where you feel like, you're kind of ostracized, like you, what you're doing is not right. And so in my own family, I kind of felt like that. They add on a layer of being um, half black and half, um, half Latinx, Puerto Rican and Dominican. I never fully fit in. And then also my mom, she just, she, she exposed us to a lot of things. Young. Like when I was younger, we, we kind of, we had a pretty decent life and we went to museums and she told me to talk eloquently. And she taught mm-hmm. me like there's a world out, outside of Gary, Indiana. And so when I came into school, I kind of felt like that furthered me from my friends, from people at my school because I talked properly. They could tell I wasn't fully black. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just, I felt different. And I felt like I I constantly felt out of place in my school. But at the same time, I didn't because I had friends and I had the support system. It was like by the time I finished high school, it was just normal for me. Mm -hmm. It was was normal to do these things. And 
Let me let me ask you um, because one of the things that you know you're talking about is a is an experience that if you read people's memoirs, reflections about their sexuality and their racial identity, there's always this kind of like I was other, and then I'm trying to kind of find of my place. And I think for people my age, people went through a lot of that really before the internet blew mm-hmm. up, before it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about the internet was really janky when I was young. <laughs> and so I think about the resources that are then available to you online. Yes. You know, or even just the images you you yeah. saw, you know, coming up. And it doesn't take away the struggle, but at least there's some reference points. So in terms of kind of your engagement with a queer culture online or around you, where did you, where did you see that stuff? I did not. Or you didn't even look at the, You didn't even use didn't, Google for I, those purposes. I didn't. I didn't. I, like, I, I really put being LGBTQ in the back of my head. I knew I was different, but I never... Because I grew up in a very structure, like structured household. Not structured, like do chores and stuff, but structured of what we saw, what mm-hmm. we did. And like, yes, I saw like maybe... T- TV like for a hot sec, but it never resonated with me. Interesting. It never resonated with me because I I, I guess I tried to push it off so much, mm-hmm. and so I I like really tried to ignore that that um that part of my identity. So growing up, I never really had any like any references of. I mean, there were like these things like associations with like being mm-hmm. gay and those kind of things were like things that like qualities that you would say I would I had mm-hmm. so like I think that was an instance of like just like from more like students and people like that's gay that's that mm-hmm. that's that and so those kind of things kind of stuck with me but it, I don't I don't think it was ever I was more like girls I feel like girls were like my like refuge in re- that way refuge I like I, I like love music from like Beyonce or I love I love looking at like women in film and um specifically black women and like some there was a phase where I was like really um into like country music and those kind of things and like but like women like women always like I resonated with women I don't know why but it was just like my mom like I was Mm -hmm. really close with my mom and so those were like more of the the role models that I resonated with in my life and so in light of all of that, though, when you knew when you knew you were going to college, you said, "I knew I was going to be out." Yes. So, what? How did that idea in the back of your head inform the choice that you made in the college you chose, or how far away you wanted to be from home? Because it seems like yeah. you had this idea very clear in your head, though. I so the summer before I went to a summer uh, before my senior year, I went on a summer school program and. That was the first instance I was like, you know what, I can start over. And so I, I came out as gay and I didn't even come out as gay until like the the two two like two, three weeks after the program. Um and um I came out um I came out to my friends there and I remember just feeling so like so much relief. And so when I got to school that my senior year, I was just like, oh, I'm back in this box. And mm-hmm. actually, now that I think about it, there is there was one person who was who identified as LGBTQ that I really resonated with. He was a YouTube blogger. His I think his YouTube name was Wiki Duel. Mm-hmm. But he just, like, had all these videos. He had a video about coming out. He had all these. And that was, like, my first exposure to, like, I might be gay. I, I, I And I remember watching those now. I, whew. I guess it was just so long ago. <laughs> I, I remember I, I really did watch his videos, like, to a T, like, everything he had to say. Um, and it was my first time also seeing, like, people, straight people engage with LGBTQ individuals on a nice level, on, like, oh. a, a sincere level. And it was just like, wow, like, they're doing things because he would have them do challenges. And they would talk, like, 
you know, like, it just was like, wow, like, homophobia is not, like, mm-hmm. present. Yeah. And it was just so weird because that's what uh, that's what I associate a lot of the times with, like, men is just, like, homophobia. And that's kind of, like, why it's hard for me to build relationships with men. Um, but, um, yeah, and so when I, I came, I didn't know, I knew I wanted to be out. But I didn't know about LGBTQ centers. I was just mm-hmm. very ill-informed about LGBTQ issues, about anything LGBTQ. I knew I wanted to be out, but I didn't know mm-hmm. what that meant. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And so I got here uh, for Hoya Saxa weekend, um, and they flew me in, which is like our orientation weekend. And I got to meet the director of the LGBTQ center, Shiva. And so she was just telling me about the um, LGBTQ life on campus, and like there's still so much work that needs to be done. And it just, I don't, it resonated with me. It was like, I want, I want to find out more about my LGBTQ identity. I want to find out more about how I can shape it, change it, help others. And so I, after, after I had that conversation with her, I definitely was like, I, I needed to come to Georgetown. And so, and I had, I, I was so like, I reached out to the GU Pride Board president mm-hmm. over the summer, like, hey, I want to run. And I, I did, I became freshman rep and stuff. And I did help work to achieve more acknowledgement, more um, information to the students on this campus about LGBTQ issues. Um, what I think is like very interesting about the LGBTQ community is that even in that community, you have to show a lot of allyship because mm. tell me more. As a as a gay individual, I don't know what it means to be trans. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it means. I we do have a similarity in the fact of sexuality and gender and like not necessarily conforming to what society has told us we should be um but i didn't i i can't i, I don't know what it feels because I, I if nobody if i walked up to a person they might not necessarily know i'm gay mm-hmm. I, I i could be very passing and i know how to be very passing and so there are people in my community who can't do that yeah or there are people in my community who don't care to do that yes so and i think that's more important um and so I need to not only understand what it means to be a gay male, but I also need to know what it understands to be a, a trans woman of color, a trans white woman, a trans male, a trans female. Mm-hmm. I need to know what it means to be lesbian. And I need to be very intersectional in that. I need to acknowledge that race, class, and um, even religion and plays a big part in the, th- the things we do and the ways we act according to identifying as LGBTQ. And so... I was just, I took a lot of like LGBTQ, um, women and gender studies classes, my um, first and second semester freshman year, and it's just like all this information was being thrown at me and it was just like amazing. It's like I was finding so much more information about what it meant to be LGBTQ and it was making my own identity stronger as somebody who identifies as LGBTQ. But yeah, so I just, I, I, I knew I wanted to get get closer to that aspect of my life. But I didn't know how. I didn't know why. I just mm-hmm. needed. I, well, I knew why I needed it for my own self. Because before that, I was just a shell of a person. I wasn't like. Yeah. I wasn't really me. I wasn't me. I wasn't happy. And so now that I am out, now that I, I really even at home now is different. I don't necessarily assimilate to what my parents want me to be. Or I'm not gonna say they want me to be that because I think they they have learned to accept me. But what makes them comfortable and uncomfortable? Yeah. Because. My comfortability is just as important. Mm-hmm. And I think to this point at this point, like 
it might sound harsh, but my parents need me more than I need them mm. because I'm at a point where I'm and I love them and I, I want to be in their life, but I also don't want to stress myself out. It's mm-hmm. self-care. It's hard enough dealing with life with life and, and yeah. all these things that are happening. Coming from your family is just too disheartening for me mm-hmm. to like deal with. So I think they realize that and they realize I've become very independent. Um, and so it's more of a getting to know me and understanding what issues I go through and why I don't choose to act like this or I don't choose to assimilate and be like this. So it's very interesting. So in terms of your friends on campus, um, have you had any, I mean, I think that's an interesting, I I love the way you put it. It's like, I'm a shell of this person and now I'm fully me. And so in terms of your friendships and you're building your relationships, how do you kind of help your friends understand what this journey is like or or who you are um just through my experiences like normalizing my normalizing my life where Mm -hmm. because i feel like there was a point where i was afraid to talk about like relationships i was afraid like if you were dating someone like Uh like, because i feel like and i let me preface this I I tend to build more relationships with women mm-hmm. on campus. It's easier for me to build relationships with women on this campus. And I think that has to do with like my upbringing and like a lot of the homophobia came from men. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it's a positive or negative thing, but I just I I I can't be I don't know how to interact with men who may feel homophobic or may mm-hmm. have some homophobic um, issues because I understand that it was taught to them. I understand that it wasn't something that it wasn't something that they just found mm-hmm. fell up upon and just thought this. It, it's been taught. It's been great. Just like there have been things in my life that have been taught and great to me that I had to get rid of. And so it kind of like it's hard for me to build relationships because I know that there's even if it's not fully there are only two guys on this campus that You're friends uh, with. I'm friends with like really closely and like I they are the best guys ever because they have never made me feel like I have never felt my felt weary or sad about my or um, conscious of my LGBTQ identity mm-hmm. around them. Around them, I'm just a bro. I'm just a normal person. I'm 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 cool and mm-hmm. it's comfortable. That's comfortable to me and that's 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 affirming to me. But there are individuals on this campus where I feel like I feel more. Um, I feel more comfortable about around my sexuality and I feel like. I don't I don't know how to interact. I don't know how to I don't know how to make the situation better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has it's, it's kind of caused me to like build more relationships with women on this campus and three of my closest friends are women. And I think with them it's just like we don't acknowledge the difference. Yeah. We don't acknowledge we don't I can talk about relationships just as much as mm-hmm. they can talk about relationships. I can talk about what's going on in my life in every aspect just as much and that's comforting to me because I don't feel like I'm different. I don't feel like I feel like I'm normal, and it makes me happy. So, I I think that's and it exposes them to more things because we have a conversation, and it's not like oh, it, I don't feel self conscious when they ask me oh what is this what is this mm-hmm. because I know it's coming from a loving place. It's not coming from like a why is mm-hmm. this a thing just to justify is that right or is that wrong? Mm-hmm. Not like it's just like oh I want to know what what is that, and then we talk more about it, and so. Mm-hmm. It's, it's making, normalizing my life and not making it seem like it's other, it's othered compared to the heteronormative standard that has been put in place. And I still struggle with that when it comes to like public 
affection mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Like, yeah, I was curious. I'm curious about this because I mean, it's so funny because in my mind, a lot of these conversations I have with students, I feel like are so you know we're so generationally different. Yes. You know, so I did not live. I did not come up in a world with a lot of out people. Yes. Or, you know, I, I think I was immersed in a culture where people knew but no one talked about yes. it. To a moment where people are getting married, nobody's even that – it's not that interesting. Yeah. Um, a lot of the learning I did from the LGBT community was around issues of, of physical safety, yes. of marriage equality, of legal protection. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, it must be so different now. Yeah. But, it, but you see how these things yeah. resonate and how powerful – homophobia is right and what it does and so in terms of kind of you know your comfort levels and being out among your friend group and being out on campus generally how do you feel about being out at work or being out at um at um you know other community settings you know being out in the classroom Mm -hmm. um so being out yeah it's different um sometimes like when i'm um when I'm in uh, with friends, it's normal. It's very normal. But then when I am with, like, um, at the workplace, I've been fortunate enough to, mm-hmm. like, because I, I don't really mess with corporate <laughs> uh, corporate America. So I've been working for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's not nice about this nonprofit, I work with Teach for America, um, is that a lot of the people are young and, mm-hmm. um, like, Last year, even when I worked over the summer, my oldest boss was, like, 30, 32. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, a very... A liberal atmosphere from what mm-hmm. I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I haven't had any um I haven't had any um I haven't had any instances in work where I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. um being like that. I'm very out. I'm mm-hmm. very out on this campus in classroom. I will let you know like really quick. I'm I'm not I'm not ashamed to do that. Now where I'm not or places I don't really go or places I'm not I was like more like um, events where it's like just like catered to men and it's just oh, like catered, catered to like those kind of things because I don't necessarily feel comfortable in those spaces. I don't know if it's just my like my own like just upbringing and like thinking about instances I've had um, but I just I sometimes don't feel comfortable in those spaces because I still feel like there is a, a twinge of mm-hmm. homophobia in those spaces, some unsaid things. And like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how to assess those things or talk about those things. Um, um, hopefully next year, like I can, we can really dive deeper into those things. And also on the street, on the, on the, um, mm-hmm. on the street when I'm just walking, um, I tend to be more, well, it just depends on the day. Like, if mm-hmm. I'm listening to some good music, I will strut down that street real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will. But um, there are some days when I just don't want to be bothered, so I'm just, like, very, like, I'm mm-hmm. not, like, uh, uh. And, I, and I, it also goes to, like, how do people perceive me? Are they perceiving me as, like, um, somebody who's gay or somebody who's passing? And just, you know, mm-hmm. you got to also include race in that yeah am i am i looked as threatening or am i looked as like a normal person so um i think more often than not that's another thing i think also on this campus i'm not really seen as like i feel the aggressiveness that people people sense aggressiveness for me which is not you aggressive not, like even walking, oh my gosh it's, it's just like little instances of like people just like being scared like you yes yes and it's just like exactly (laughs) and it's because maybe i don't smile occasionally Mm -hmm. maybe i don't do that but i'm I'm trying Mm -hmm. to get to class it's early in the morning like i'm not well it's it's so funny you say that because so much of this is about 
and appearance and our projection. Yes. And so much about race, so much about gender, so much about sexuality is about appearing it, yes. in a certain way. And I think that what you're talking about is that there's many things to be in one life. Exactly. And I think that's one of the, the hardest things to grapple with. Um, I'm going to round out okay. this conversation yes. with a question I ask everyone. If there's one thing you wish all your professors would know about you or you could communicate, what would that be? Um, I would communicate to professors that um, we're not just dealing with schoolwork. Mm-hmm. We're not just dealing with schoolwork. We're dealing with, especially, I mean, it, it differs based on class, based on sexuality, based on sex, based on race. But, like, there are other things that people have to focus on or people that, that are life, like, life or death to some people. Like, mm-hmm. there are other things that that come into play even like with your own identity and walking through this campus and sometimes it's exhausting and sometimes it's so exhaustive um and so i think professors just need to acknowledge that like there are other things and like sometimes just like be be uh, more what is the word more uh, more can't think of the word. Like sensitive? It's more sensitive, more sensitive, sensitive to the issues. And I'm not an aggressive person. That's also <laughs> what I want people to know. I am so nice. I like, I can smile. Don't like just like walk past and stare at me. I'm normal. I'm, I am a human being. That's what else. <laughs> You're a lovely human yes. being. Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Oh, these conversations are so good. Thank you for joining us on Office Hours, a podcast. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marcia Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on Twitter at Office Hours Pod.